So Yahweh is, is, the, is, uh, is God's personal covenant name that he revealed to his people through Moses. And Moses asked, what, who shall I say sent to the people sent me? And God said, Yahweh, which really means I am, or I will be who I will be. Um, so anyways, it's, it's kind of the difference between God's name, or rather title, God or Lord, and his personal name. It's kind of like the difference between pastor, I serve as a pastor, but Gabe is my name. And Yahweh is the name that God revealed to his people. So I hope that will be helpful tonight as we go to 2 Kings chapter 12. This is where we are in our study of the Old Testament. And our purpose is to try to give attention to the whole counsel of God's word. So we tend to either preach in the Old Testament in the morning or the New Testament in the morning and then switch in the evening. It's been a blessing to be together in these passages. Tonight we come to chapter 12, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Jehoash did what was right in the sight of Yahweh all his days, in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Only the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Then Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of Yahweh, both the money for each numbered man, the money from each person's assessment in the census, and all the money which any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of Yahweh, Let the priests take it for themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair the damages of the house wherever any damage may be found. Now it happened that in the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priests had not repaired the damages of the house. Then King Jehoash called for Jehoiada the priest and for the other priests and said to them, Why do you not repair the damages of the house? So now... Take no more money from your acquaintances, but give it over to pay for the damages of the house. So the priests agreed that they would take no more money from the people, nor repair the damages of the house. But Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in its lid and put it beside the altar and on the right side as one comes into the house of Yahweh. And the priests who kept watch over the threshold put it in it all the money which was brought into the house of Yahweh. Now it happened that when they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest came up and tied it in bags and counted the money which was found in the house of Yahweh. And they gave the money which was weighed out into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of Yahweh. And they paid it out to the craftsmen of wood and the builders who worked on the house of Yahweh. And to the masons and the hewers of stone and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damages to the house of Yahweh, for all that was laid out for the house to repair it. But there were not made for the house of Yahweh silver cups, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, any vessels of gold or vessels of silver from the money which was brought into the house of Yahweh. For they gave that to those who did the work, and with it they repaired the house of Yahweh. 
Moreover, they did not require an accounting of it from the men into whose hand they paid the money in order to pay those who did the work, for they were doing it faithfully. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of Yahweh. It was for the priests. Then Hazael, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it. And Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the holy things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Judah, had set apart as holy, and his own holy things and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of Yahweh and of the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. Then he went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash... And all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Selah. Now Jazakar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, struck him and he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, became king in his place." Amen. This is God's word. Let's pause and ask God's blessing. Once again, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, every portion of it. All scripture is inspired, breathed out by you, and all of it is necessary for us to know you and to know how we might live in these days. So we continue to thank you for what you have taught us, and we pray tonight that you'll shape us into being your people more and more, more like your son. We ask it in his name. Amen. Briefly, I want to remind you of the context, and it's a joyful context. That's important because it's a joyful context in chapter 11 and verse 20. So remember that uh, it's important because there's been a whole lot of bleakness. Uh, You know, I don't want it ever to be, you know, coming to Sunday night, oh boy, we're we're in uh, we're in the in the dregs again. We're in the the dark part. Uh, I suppose it'd be worse maybe if we were in Job and we're in like a ten year series on Job Sunday evenings. So here we go again. But um, but you know there's a lot of darkness here and a lot to be discouraged by. And we've seen Israel in the north basically apostatize. There's still God's still dealing with them in grace. But there's a lot of sadness up there and Ahab and Jezebel and their influence and. And that influence even spilled over into the south, into Judah. And, and that's important because Judah is where the line of David, the, ultimately the, the father of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, is located. And it's to the line of kings in Judah that God has made his covenant with David, that there would be a descendant that would sit on the throne. And we learned last Sunday evening that God's covenant promise was down to one single seed or descendant. And that was Jehoash, one left in the line of David. And it was uh, a a heroic uh, Jehoshaphat, a heroic woman of God, and Jehoiada, the godly priest, 
who worked to preserve this little infant's life, keep him hidden for six years. And then remember in the seventh year, they conspired in a godly conspiracy to uh, arrange with all the Levites who probably were in hiding from Athaliah, the wicked uh, witch of Judah, who was, was no rightful ruler, but she was a Baal worshiper. She was like Jezebel, take two. And she was in Judah and she had annihilated the house of David for all she knew. But Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, uh, the high priest, they, they conspired to bring little Jeho- Jehoash out and to reveal him at seven years old. And very moving scene where the people expressed their loyalty to the descendant of David and uh, Athaliah is hauled off rightfully so, and executed. And verse 20 tells us of chapter 11, all the people of the land were glad. You don't hear that very often in the history of Israel and Judah. All the people of the land were glad, and the city was quiet. Um, It was a gift. They had all groaned under the reign of wicked Athaliah, and the city was quiet. Uh, It's a reminder, just as a little aside there, I'm going back to last week's chapter, but um, sometimes when things are just kind of going along and they're quiet, we should be thankful. <laughs> Don't worry, there'll be enough noisy times. We should be thankful when God gives peace and a season of peace as, as I think we're enjoying uh, now. So grateful. So he was seven years old, Jehoash, when he became king. And this is the context. God, God had graciously preserved the line of David and had granted a revival of sorts to his people in Judah. This was a move of, of the Spirit of God raising up Jehoshaphat, this godly woman, to raise up Jehoiada, this godly priest, and to put in the hearts of the people to be loyal to the house of David and therefore unto Yahweh, God, the God of Israel. So it's a joyous background. And so now as we come to Uh, chapter 12 verse 1 seven years and uh, I'm sorry in the seventh year of Jehu that's in the north Jehoash became king so he's seven years old and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem Uh, 40 years so Jehoash had a lengthy reign and again that's a that's a gift of God in many ways depending on who it is because there's a certain stability there And this is the theme of the chapter that I want to fix our outline on tonight, giving, if that's our key word, giving or gift. And first, I want us to look at the gift of a godly leader. Secondly, the gift of giving to the worship of Yahweh, the gift of giving to the house or the worship of Yahweh. And then thirdly, tonight, the tragedy of giving away the honor and worship of the Lord, of Yahweh. So first, let's look at the gift of a godly leader. A godly leader in Jehoiada. This is Jehoiada. You notice in verse 2 that Jehoash is the king in, in Judah in the south. This is this boy who, at seven years old, becomes king. He is the rightful king. He is the only remaining descendant of David that wasn't annihilated by Athaliah, and he's been preserved by God. God has preserved him. Jehoiada, this, rather Joash, Jehoash, this little boy, literally is the embodiment of 
God's covenant promise with David. And as Dale Ralph Davis, our commentator, we've been following along the way, we've appreciated, uh, he reminded us in chapter 11, no Jehoash, no Christmas. No Jehoash, no Christ. No gospel. So God has preserved through Jehoiada. He was the one who had the courage to hide this little boy in the house of the Lord. He is the one who had the courage to organize the Levites and the men of valor to protect this little boy. And do you notice in verse 2 that there is this key phrase, and it will be played out, and more detail given in Second Chronicles chapter 24. But Jehoash did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, in sight of the Lord, all his days, here's the qualifier, all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. In other words, this little boy, seven years old, Jehoash, who would reign for 40 years, was a king who did what was right in the sight of the Lord as long as Jehoiada was living. Wow. That, that is a leader, Jehoiada, the priest, with a generational impact. With a generational impact. And that's a gift from the Lord himself. Um, you, you know, you don't, you don't have a conference and say, you know, five steps, how to be a Jehoiada. How do you, how do you explain this? How do you, how, do you, how do you get this kind of leader? You know, this is what we want to know today. We want to have books and we want to have conferences. The answer is God gives them. Uh, God gives him. When the men were out, uh, oh, okay, I'm going to, this will be a little dangerous maybe, but when the men were out at the conference, probably not too dangerous, uh, we were out at the conference, a few of us went over to the Reagan Library, and um, I'd been there before, and uh, it's quite something, uh, and I really don't mean to get into politics tonight, but um, it was just uh, n- not to glorify Reagan, he had his faults, he was just a mere man, but to walk around there and just think, wow, what a leader. I mean, what a communicator. I was in one room, and um, uh, I think Matt was in, a, in a, if you've ever been in a library, you just go from kind of one display to another all around, and they have various recordings, and, and there was one um, video of Reagan speaking at a memorial uh, of D-Day, and actually on the, on the cliff there in Normandy, and some of our veterans were there and I was in another room and I heard Reagan you know, giving this speech and it actually pulled me in there I mean he was such such a commanding eloquent leader and speaker and spoke with such conviction to honor these men that I was pulled in and and I had to think to myself boy that we haven't had a president like that in a long time <laughs> I've been pulled in to lead anyways so where do you get that kind of leader it's a gift from God it's a gift from God and Jehoiada the priest was a gift from God, and he was a leader with a generational impact. As long as he was around, godliness reigned. It wasn't perfect. There were still the high places, verse 3. That is, there was still pragmatic worship. Those high places, you'll hear that phrase a lot. Um, And and what's going on there? Well, you know, um, people find it difficult to worship at certain times. Um, it, <laughs> they, uh, they have a challenge getting it, it's a lot uh, I mean we have high places still today it, all the high places were about was 
well, you know, we don't want to be too rigid and actually say that God can only be worshipped the way that he's revealed and that we actually have to go to all the trouble to go to Jerusalem and worship him there. So it'll be a lot easier if we just meet with Yahweh, with the Lord, up on every high hill. What was the problem with that? Well, it was very practical, very convenient, convenient worship. Problem? That's not the way that God had commanded he be worshipped. And so, but by and large, in the days of Jehoiada, the priest, the true worship of God was restored. And, and think about it, the, the worship of Baal had been the standard under Athaliah, and things had really been going down, apparently so much that the temple itself, the house of the Lord, the house of Yahweh, had really uh, suffered a lot of damage um, you know, Baal, uh, in her, uh, Athaliah's love of Baal and uh, hatred for the God of Israel, um, the house of the Lord, the true temple, apparently had been used and abused. It had been scarred and marred, and maybe stones were taken from it to build the house of Baal. We don't know the exact details, but apparently by this point, the house of the Lord, where the Lord had commanded he be worshipped, was really hurting. I mean, it was... It was not just need of, it was not merely in need of a new painted coat, coat of paint, coat of paint, paint of coat, coat of paint, and God made me a preacher, Uh, coat of paint, and it wasn't just a facade, it needed some structural work, some real work, and Jehoiada uh, was with Jehoash and behind Jehoash's zeal for the Lord. Where did Jehoash get that concern for the worship of the Lord? Where did this king of Judah actually get this concern that that the money be used for the house of the Lord? That's the influence of Jehoiada. And was Jehoiada just sharing with Jehoash what Jehoiada thought? No, he was teaching him as a little boy the law of the Lord, putting it in his heart, having him memorize it, and most importantly, Jehoiada the priest modeled it, modeled it for Jehoash. How do we know this? Just interesting, just turn for a moment to Second Chronicles. Keep your finger in Second Kings chapter 12. But Jehoiada is really kind of an unsung hero of the Old Testament. I confess I hadn't paid much attention to him. But he's, he's made the list now, in my mind, of great leaders in the Old Testament. In chapter 24, verse 15, when Jehoiada became old and full of days, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. Wow. So when Jehoash, the king, at seven years old, was a little boy, Jehoiada, the priest, was an old man. Uh, and so he had a life, and he endured a lot of, un- he, he lived in the days of Ahab and Jezebel in the north. He had seen good days and bad days come and go, and he was a godly old man, and he had an incredible influence on this young king. Such an influence that Jehoiada the priest received an honor that no other man, no other priest in the Old Testament was accorded. Verse 16, they buried him in the city of David among the kings. Wow. Nobody else was given that honor. 
nobody else. He's the only priest, and uh, a little interesting incense, uh, insight into God's plan of the office of king and the office of priest and how God does in the Old Testament raise up models that prefigure our great king and our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jehoiada was a great godly leader and he had a generational impact and that was a gift from the Lord. The gift of a godly leader with generational impact. Secondly tonight, much of chapter 12 in 2 Kings focuses on the gift of giving to the house of Yahweh or the Lord. And we may struggle at first a little bit with that and think that's awful. That's building stuff. I, I remember, and I, I understand, I, I do, I've been in churches context, uh, maybe especially growing up, where it seemed like, you know, godliness was associated with a building project. If there wasn't some kind of building project, then there wasn't something spiritual going on. And that's nonsense, right? We understand that the church of the Lord, the house of the Lord in this time and place is an, an address like 190 Dover Road. In reality, uh, when I say to Carissa during the week, I'm going to the church, I'm actually lying, not intentionally, <laughs> but you're the church. And if you're not here, well, I'm not really going to the church. I'm just going to this building. And, um, I, but at the same time, I think we as a church, having existed now for some 14 years, can help others understand that uh, a structural building is actually very helpful for the worship of God, especially here in New England. Um, we have worshiped in a manure pit. No kidding. Uh, not with the manure there, thankfully, but we have worshiped there. I have preached uh, on the heights. Do you remember? Uh, Dave and I were just at the Red Arrow Diner this earliest week for breakfast and having a meeting together and, and I walked out and I saw over there where we had met at uh, Greg Hoffert's property there and uh, there's a fence and do you remember I was preaching this is COVID days and we had to meet outside and there's helicopters flying around not because they want to see our service but they're practicing and you know I'm sorry but uh, they don't prepare you for that in seminary how to preach with helicopters flying overhead and and one time do you remember all of you were there and you're listening to the preaching of the word of God and some guy walks up within about 10 feet of me and none of you told me and you just let me keep on preaching uh okay uh so so all that to say uh I think we're we're in a position to say yeah the church is not a building but but we have witnessed uh, God's grace and in this place and how this is provided for our worship. It is an absolute joy that we were able to schedule a Good Friday service on Friday coming up at 7 p.m. We didn't have to call our landlord and, and to find out if that was acceptable, if that would work, and so on. You, you know the deal. And, and so, but particularly at this time in redemptive history, at this juncture, the worship of God really, by and large, took place at a certain place and zip code, if you will. And, and the people were to meet with the living God and to honor and worship him at least once a year um, at Jerusalem and to uh, offer up sacrifices 
and worship to God at the house of the Lord. Um, This was not carnal. This was not uh, unspiritual. This was actually God's command at that time. And it was to be beautiful and it was to be joyful and it was not to be burdensome and it was to be unto the Lord. And so in this context where there is repair to the damages of the house that the Lord that's needed, we see here the, the joy that came, the, the, rather the gift of giving. God put it in the hearts of the people to give. And that's what verses uh, 4 and following uh, help us with. Now let's look at this a little more closely. Um, let's, uh, let's help our outline here with a few sublines. So if we're talking about the gift of giving to the worship of the Lord, we should give while stewarding the opportunity. Giving, give while stewarding the opportunity. Um, verses 4 through uh, 6 are, are and, and 7 is, is interesting because uh, Jehoash had commanded that all the money in sacred things that's brought into the house of the Lord, that there be money brought there, and verse 5, that it, some of it, at least, be used to repair the house of the Lord. God had put in the heart of Jehoash, this young king, a heart for the worship of the Lord. And he walked in, saw the temple and, and the, the cracks and the stones and the disfigurement, maybe that had happened through the years of Athaliah, and he was not content with it. It wasn't okay. And he led in the effort to give to the house the worship of the Lord. But what happened is, verse 6, now it happened in the 23rd year. Now, years have gone by. How many exactly? I, I don't know. But, but, I mean, this is 23 years into his reign when he started when he was 7. And, um, and the priest had not repaired the damages of the house. Now, we all have questions. What's going on here? Are they... Are they uh, squirreling away the funds? I, I don't know. I don't know that it's that clear. Um, one of the funny things about how we read our Bibles or read our Old Testaments is sometimes we read ourselves into the text. Sometimes we, we know our experience and we just assume that almost 3,000 years ago, it was the same. And so we just kind of read ourselves into the text. Well, we don't want to do that. On the other hand, it's funny sometimes how we sanitize the text and we kind of assume, well, I mean, they didn't really deal with the same things we do. (laughs) All right, we have maybe 50 or so members. And praise the Lord, we've had no disunity on the renovations, on deciding paint and so forth. But it's not easy. It's, it's not easy to make those decisions. And we have decisions about what rooms go first. And some of the men on Saturday, we just went and learned about more details about our HVAC system, which is coming and which is a little more money and we had Holt, and, and we have different personalities, and we have different perspectives, and, and do we move forward, do we wait, do we pause, and we're just a little church. Multiply that on the scale of a nation. 
And that's probably what's going on here. Um, have a little pity on the priests because they had some years in which they didn't receive any paycheck. I mean, during the years of Athalia, to be a priest of the Lord was, was uh, to probably have your family a little hungry. And remember, these priests, the Levites, they don't own necessarily the same amount of property and so forth as Israelites, other Israelites, so they're really dependent on the worship of the Lord, and that hasn't been happening under the reign of Athalia. So, you know, maybe these guys are just really conservative. Maybe they're taking their time. Maybe there's administrative layers, you know, committee work they have to go through. I mean, does anybody know what that's like, right? And our, our meetings and, and, you know, you don't want to step on toes or just things that get in the way, right? We know what that's like. That kind of thing happens here. It's just life under the sun. So whatever the reason, whether it's dragging their feet or just administrative complications that didn't need to be there, somehow year after year after year goes by and the work isn't moving forward. I think there's a little lesson there. Sometimes you just got to move and you just got to go for it. And that's hard for us. Some of us, I, I'm not inclined to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty slow. Um, I kind of like to know what I'm getting into. I, I like to be careful and so forth. But there's times in the Lord's work when our giving to the Lord and stewarding it is while we have the opportunity. You might say, strike while the iron's hot. And the iron's hot right here, and the iron isn't hot too much in Judah's history. It's cold a lot of the times, but God has moved. He's worked in the hearts of the people. There's a stirring. There's a gladness. The people are giving, and it behooves the leaders in that case to step forward and make sure that things move forward. And yes, there's risk involved. And yes, things can go wrong. But for whatever reason, verse 26 is not a commendation. It is not a good thing that it took till the 23rd year of King Jehoash for the work of the repairs to begin with earnest. Whatever the reason, it shouldn't have happened. So King Jehoash calls old Jehoiada, his, basically his spiritual father, who is a priest. So Jehoash isn't blaming all the priests they're not necessarily guilty. They've maybe bumbled their way through this. They haven't done their job. So Jehoiada calls him and the other priests. He asks them, why, why, why are you not using the money for the damages of the house? So they, they agree no longer to take the money. And instead, they come up with a different plan. Uh, this is even a little bit instructive here that um, sometimes it's wise for us to think through how we how we organize funds and so forth. I don't want to read too much into this, but I'm just saying, sometimes we have a tendency to think that that's so unspiritual. That's, that's not advancing the mission of Christ. Somebody's got to do it. I mean, somebody had to make the box and some guy had to get out a drill and drill a hole in it. Um, it's all part of the work of the Lord. And so they come up with a different plan. Uh, they're going to stop going through all these administrative layers and committees of priests, and they're going to let the people give to a box which has on the front of it building fund, <laughs> essentially. I mean, it's really what it is. Building fund, this money is going to go specifically to 
the repairs to the house of the Lord. And once that is made known, wow, well then, if we have a second little sub-point here, the gift of giving to the worship of the Lord, giving with eagerness and joy, giving with eagerness and joy. The people, even, all the, even though it took all this time, they, it was still in their heart. They loved the Lord. And did you notice how many times the name Yahweh, it might have been striking to you, the house of Yahweh, house of Yahweh, house of Yahweh. Almighty God has chosen to associate his name with his worship. And how do the watching how does the watching world get a idea an idea of the value and the goodness and the grace of the Lord in part through the character of the worship of God's people. And so they give. God puts it in their heart. Again, it's, it's a gift, a move of the Spirit of God. And they give with eagerness. There's more detail again in Second Chronicles 24. You can look there later. It's very clear that, that the people just, they were moved by the Spirit and they kept giving. The box would fill up and they would take it away and empty it and very carefully set it aside in a fund for the repairs. And then they would put the box out and it would fill up again and they would go... And, and, and that has been a little bit of our experience this past year, hasn't it? Just pause and just, uh, we still have needs. We still don't know all that God might be pleased to do. But we truly have seen God bless us exceedingly abundantly beyond, I think, what many of us could have asked or imagined maybe a year ago. Um, as a leadership, only nine months, ten months ago, as we initially heard quotes of HVAC systems around 150, $170,000, we just looked at each other. And it was quiet. And we didn't have all those funds. We had something to contribute to it. The Lord had already moved in the hearts of the people. But, but now, when it's looking like it's going to be around that, more about that, we'll get to the members, don't worry, God has provided that. And then some. And we didn't even have a box or a thermometer or anything. Um, Praise the Lord for putting in the hearts of his people to give. And it's not just one or two gifts. It's not big gifts. It's the gifts of the small and the great. And it's a work of the Spirit of God. And you should be encouraged, dear ones, that the Lord is at work in you and among you in moving your hearts to give so generously. It's really a testimony to your love for him. So the people gave with eagerness, and we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So not only are the people glad in this time, but this is one of the rare occasions in the Old Testament when God is actually glad. The text doesn't say it, God is actually gaining some joy from his people, some relief as his people are moved to give to the house of the Lord. And I love the emphasis here on the work, the craftsmen, verse 11, of the wood and the masons, verse 12, and hewers of stone. 
all kinds of different trades. And whatever your line of work, it's a reminder that your line of work, even if it's not related specifically to the church, can be unto the honor and the glory of the Lord. And so God loves a cheerful giver. Well, we've seen the gift of a godly leader. We've seen, secondly, the gift of giving to the worship of Yahweh. And then thirdly, and finally, unfortunately, we end on a negative note, and that's just the way it is with this king. Jehoash was under the influence of Jehoiada, and as long as Jehoiada was around, he had that godly influence in his ear. But turn with me again to 2 Chronicles chapter 24, as we have in 2 Chronicles a parallel account of these days. And there in chapter 24, verse 17, we learn that after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came, bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them, and they forsook the house of Yahweh. It's a tragedy. Jehoash bowed to the will of these leaders in Israel who wished for maybe more practical or spectacular forms of worship. And unfortunately, that coincided with the ongoing judgment of God back to 2 Kings chapter 12 through a man named Hazael. Remember him? That's that, that man, that wicked foreigner that God had prophesied all to Elijah all those years earlier that would be the tool of God for the judgment of Israel in the north and, and here we see also Judah in the south. And he's very powerful and the Arameans are rising up at this time as a powerhouse in the region. He fought against these powerful Philistine cities, Gath, and the area, and then he was about to go to Jerusalem, and then verse 18, and this is just sad, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the holy things that Jehoshaphat and and his fathers, in other words, he just emptied the bank, whatever he had to try to buy out, buy off Hazael. And it's easy for us to be critical of him, and we should be critical of him, but we do need to remember that Haziel was coming with a whole army and going to kill a whole lot of people, and, and apparently he was much more, he was much more powerful, and, and Jehoash is afraid, and, and if this, is, this is what everybody does. You, you work out an arrangement. You pay off the invader so that he goes away. But many years later... There'd be a godly king, king named Hezekiah, and what would he do? He would take the letter of the invader, and he would lay it before the Lord, and he would call upon the Lord to save the city. And Jehoash could have done that, couldn't he? And if he had humbled himself, if he had called out to the Lord, if the people had humbled themselves, surely God would have turned Hazael away, but instead Jehoash took all the money of the house of Yahweh, verse 18, and his own house and gave them to Hazael. And do you understand, it, when he did that, 
he gave away the worship of Yahweh and the honor of Yahweh because he essentially communicated both to Hazael, to the Arameans, and to his own people, this Yahweh, this God of Israel whom we worship isn't really so great after all. Pragmatic, practical, made sense, but tragic because he gave away the honor and the worship of Yahweh. We are going to be called upon to trust God both privately, personally, in our families and as a church in times when we might be faced with a decision between an impractical decision that we don't know how the situation is going to be met or trusting the Lord so that he is honored. And perhaps God will bring to our mind the tragedy of Jehoash, the king of Judah, who sold the worship of Yahweh for protection from Hazael. So there's a lot of giving in this chapter. May God give to us leaders like Jehoiada. May God give to us the gift of giving that we may make him joyful. And may God spare us and keep us from giving away his honor and worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for these accounts of your people. And we find that though we are separated by thousands of years, by language, by culture, that we really aren't so different after all. And we ask that truly in our day that you would continue to raise up among us men like and women like Jehoiada, Jehoshaphat, and Give us men and women who, boys and girls, young men and women who love you so wholeheartedly that they will not yield to the world or to the devil or to pragmatism for anything, but will be marked by you as standing courageously in this generation. And, oh God, we pray that you would give us a love for you, for your worship, for your praise, both as a church, in our public worship, but also in our lives, in our living. And protect us from the temptation to sell you cheaply. And we fear that within us is the same inclination. So have mercy upon us, O God, we pray. And exalt your great name in the name of your Son, Jesus, among us. In his name we pray. Amen.